Welcome to Last Call with Jamie and Christian. Our guest today, Abel Delassi, the head coach at McAllister, currently in his fifth season as the head coach, where he leads his alma mater. Abel's also an assistant coach at Siena College, operations at Davidson and Dartmouth, and assistant at Bowden College. Also spending two years in Las Vegas at Impact. Excited to have Abel on today. His experiences are unique, and I think it's going to do a great justice to our fans here. We appreciate you all listening. Abe, how are you doing today? Jamie, do well, man. Excited to be here. Happy Sunday. And yeah, thanks for having me on, man. You know, it, it's funny. I mean, I, I kind of started this. We started talking today. The first time I was introduced to you was from a, a good friend named Kevin Snyder, who you guys would recruit against when you were at Bowden. And he was at Williams College. He worked with me for a year at William Mary. And he just always came in the office talking about what a good person you were and what a great coach you were. Um, you know, we talk so much about the ability to connect with players. And he was like, you got to get with my guy, Abe. And so really since those days, we've been in connection, not super close, but I think we actually stay in touch pretty well through the course of the year. And anytime I've needed a little bit of advice, I, I don't hesitate to reach out to you and vice versa. So I'm excited about getting you on this platform here today. Yeah, thanks, man. No, Kevin's a great guy. We we had some battles, you know, when I was uh, in Maine and I, I don't think we beat them while he was there. So he probably likes me, but that's um, high praise from him. And, and uh, he, he's a great guy. Yeah. You know, the one thing you have when you have good friends is they have a natural way of wanting to connect good people with with good people. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that's always been exciting when someone like Kevin says, hey, you got to meet my guy, Abe. I was like, man, like, let's you know, let's get together. And, you know, I remember I took over the job at Siena. You were one of the first people I reached out to to try to get some information on, you know, Siena and, and you know, how we can make that adjustment. And you gave us a lot of great stuff. I mean, we obviously turned that thing around pretty quickly because I always really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of coaches in this world that work hard and there are, I think, some that make connections, but trying to help others, you know, can make the difference. And, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways what goes around comes around. So um, if we can all try to help people, you know, it's um, it makes what we're doing a little more worthwhile. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit here about McAllister. And um, yeah, you're a great player there, too. Yeah, you know, two seasons there. You have 17 points a game, five assists in 50 games, almost scored almost a thousand points in two years. So you're a pretty good player coming back home. What's it like being the head coach at your alma mater? Yeah, it's it's hard to replace home, man. You know, I grew up here, uh, born in Minneapolis, raised in Minneapolis, and then, you know, our college is in St. Paul. Um, when I was here, we played in an old gym, Rinky Ding Gym. They actually tore down the current gym we have. Uh, the gym I played in, they tore down. Now we got this beautiful gym. So my senior year, we actually played at an all women's college that was like two miles away. So we didn't have any locker rooms, no showers. We just kind of like changed in the gym and practiced and got out of there. So to walk here now and, and to be the head coach, like you said, after five years, it's it's special. And, you know, now we're, you know, I would say we've never made the NCAA tournament, Jamie, and in the history of the college, right? Zero NCAA tournaments. And so we, we're, we're knocking at the door to be the first to do it. And we were close last year, lost in our title game, but um, now we're getting used to having a, a target on our back and uh, we're not sneaking up on anybody. So um, yeah, man, I, I love it here. It, it's, it's a great spot to be. I, I love it. You know, we have a lot of first time head coaches that listen, a lot of people that are aspiring to be head coaches. What was your first head coach moment? Uh, five years ago, 
where you're like, wow, this is really my responsibility. This is really my baby. One memory I remember the first year was um, after 21 games, Jamie, we were four and 17 and, you know, you come into the year, right. And you don't, I don't care who you are or what program or you don't expect your first year, you're going to be four and 17. And I just remember looking at my assistant who's still with me, Connor Nord. And I said, man, just be thankful. You're not the head coach. This will, they'll never ask you as an assistant coach, what your record was <laughs> as an assistant coach. Like that'll never come up in an interview, but they will as a head coach. And, uh, but thankfully we won three, of the last four and we finished seven and 18. And that was four more wins than, you know, the year before. And so I just, it felt heavy, man. Like it, it was like, man, I just, I thought I was going to be better than this. And I thought we were going to be better than this, but we won three of our last four, like I said, and we ended on such a great note. And then we carried that to the next year and the next year. And every year our winning percentage has gone up, but I just really remember that moment after that loss, just feeling defeated, you know, and, and uh, it hurt, but um, that was part of my path and we kept fighting and, and we're still here. So. Yeah. You know, so much of, of being a head coach and, and I would, I would use the phrase learning how to be a head coach. Um, you know, now you've done it five years, so you know how to be a head coach now. Um, but that process of learning how to be a head coach is, is, a, is always humbling. I mean, all learning is humbling. What are some things you learned about yourself through, through the journey of, of where you are now? Yeah, I think that, you know, you've got to be your own man, right. Or own woman, if you're listening and don't, you can't try to be anyone else, right. I've worked for some great coaches and you take a little bit from everyone, but I'm not trying to be any of the coaches that I work for. And you have to know your institution and your school or whether it's AU program, high school, college, and um, try to fit that school. Right. So like at McAllister, we have students from all 50 states, over 90 countries. Right. Like really diverse student body for a school of our size. And so we're trying to recruit to that. And so right now we have nine people on our staff, like either players, coaches or student managers that were either born in a different country or their parents were born in a different country. Right. So like we are our team isn't different from McAllister. Like we, we are the school. And so just that might not work at other schools, but like that fits here. And so we've really tried to recruit to that and embrace that. And that's what we're going to continue to do. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really neat. Um, the ability to have a, di a diverse place to be, you know, I mean, you know, I've been at a lot of different academic places as, as you have, and to feel that appreciation for the diversity, I don't know if you always get. Um, so it's neat that you're at a place that really appreciates that. Yeah, yeah. And our, our leadership, man, you know, our president, she is the first uh, woman and first La Latina president in school history. Our athletic director is African-American AD. Uh, then myself as a, a black head coach. So um, it's reflected not just in our team, but in our leadership. Right. And you feel supported and it helps recruiting, right? Like when you have a president, we have our president every Friday, Jamie, every Friday, she tweets out fan Friday. It's like a little thing, but just something about whether it's our game or the women's game, or it could be men's and women's swimming or whatever. She's just, she's so supportive of athletics and you, you don't often see that at the division three level. So, um, so I feel supported and, you know, and it, it's um, a responsibility that I got to keep making sure that other people get this opportunity to, to play here and coach here. Yeah. What, what do you think the, and maybe you're still learning some of these, you know, what are the major advantages to to just having that kind of support? Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about recruiting, but and I'm talking more about in the locker room, you know, the kind of conversations you're able to have. Um, can you share a little bit on that? Yeah, we have 
uh, we have two Muslim students on our team. We have two Jewish students on our team. I think we have three Catholic students on our team. Um, not that it's all about religion, but just, just, you know, what we can have real life conversations outside of basketball and, uh, hearing different perspectives. One of our students, uh, was born in Senegal. His first language is French. And so, um, we put in a play that it's funny cause the guys couldn't pronounce the French word. So like, we just, we shortened it to like an English version of that. Right. But like, just to kind of honor where he's from and, but then to realize like, man, like you, we have a lot of people on our team that are Americans that like don't speak another language really well. So like you can't even pronounce one word in French. Like think how hard it is for someone that's coming here trying to learn English and just to appreciate that and have a little more empathy with that um, has, has been great. So conversations are great. Uh, there's a mutual respect and doesn't mean we're going to agree on every single thing, but uh, we hear each other and, and it makes that that journey a lot more fun. Yeah, I know. I loved it. You know, being in a nation's nation's capital uh, for three years with a diverse team, I when things popped up in the world, whether they were good or bad, the locker room conversations I thought were unbelievable because of so many different perspectives. It, personally, I thought it was I had a lot of fun just listening, and I learned a ton. You know, just from their perspectives, from being from different places. Yeah, we. You know, we're only maybe a 15 minute drive from uh, where George Floyd was killed. Right. Like that, that was an international story. And we brought our team there last year just to like, that's 10 minutes from where I grew up, you know, that's, and so for, for, you know, you saw images on TV and it was just like constant 24 hour news cycle. Like that, it's not that far from here, you know? So just to be able to see that and talk about it and we didn't solve the world's problems by going there, but just to see that and know like, like this is, selfishly, this is home for me and I'm really proud to be from here. And it, it really hurt to see all those images and how our, our city was um, not in the best light. Right. And so um, it makes them appreciate again, like where they are right now. And hopefully they can use basketball. We tell them we're, you're interviewing every day, right? When we play a game, you're interviewing, you never know who's watching and um, you got to hold yourself to a higher standard. So. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic the last few years with just the outrage of things that have happened. Um, you know, it's become, there's so many things have become so polarized. In college, it's really the place where you're really armed with some of the knowledge to take out, to take out and share, right? Because you're, you're, uh, you're, in a, you're on a campus life where you have people who really deeply care about these issues. Um, you're not as segregated as maybe we grew up. You know, everyone in my town had one viewpoint or maybe a couple had a different viewpoint. But on a college campus, it's pretty shared across. Um, so I think there's just such a great opportunity on college campuses to learn outside of what you know and to be forced to listen. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we have, you know, we have a really small class size here. Like average class size is 17. You can't, you can't hide here, right? Like you're not in a big lecture hall where you're not going to get called on. And um, again, we have we have students from over 90 countries here. We only have 2,100 students, so um, it's it's hard to have a shared viewpoint. Like everyone's bringing something to the table. And I think a lot of it's just listening. And that doesn't mean you're going to agree with everyone, but if you're actually hearing someone and giving them that space to talk and that respect, um, but you know, everyone's going to win at the end. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's dive a little bit too, and just a little bit of your background. Um, you started out at St. Thomas, spent two years there, transferred to McAllister. Um, let's talk a little about your upbringing and, and, and just some of your background stuff. Yeah, like I said, I was I was born here. Uh, both of my parents are 
or immigrants from Eritrea, which there was a long civil war in um, Ethiopia. It was like a 30 year civil war, 1961 to 91. And then Eritrea didn't become a country until 1993. Uh, but my dad left there in the 70s, came here. Uh, I was born here. He brought my mom over. Uh, my mom passed away when I was young. And so it was just me and my dad growing up. And then um, when the war ended, he just decided to stay. He had a good job here and was safe. And I was in school and all that. So um, I grew up playing soccer, man. Basketball was like my second sport. I was a, I was like the Iverson of soccer. I didn't really want to practice a whole lot, right? But I, <laughs> I was good naturally. I was a great soccer player. I love Iverson. But, but yeah, man, I just, I had a love for basketball. You know, it's just like what you do and I do. And so I just, I kind of shifted more towards basketball in middle school and high school. And then, um, like you said, played at St. Thomas for two years. I played JV, you know, so I played, you got to love the game to play division three JV. You know, you're not playing yeah. for gear. You're not playing for fans. You're not playing for anything other than loving the game. We got the old varsity like practice jerseys and the old varsity game jerseys. And, you know, our parents and friends would come to the games and that was it. Um, so I did that for two years and then transferred to McAllister. So St. Thomas and McAllister are on the same block. So Summit Avenue connects St. Thomas and McAllister, like not even a mile, maybe maybe about a mile from each other. And uh, transferred to McAllister, played for two years, like you said, and then started my coaching journey, you know, right after that. I mean, you're a pretty good player at McAllister. Um, I mean, uh, I mean that those are pretty pretty good numbers for, for two years opportunity, you know. Um, so that St. Thomas squad must have been pretty stacked. You, um, you know, it's, it's, work in there. it's interesting. So we, I had a game yesterday, right? We played at one and thankfully, you know, we, we got the win. And then last night I went to St. Thomas and watched them play. They played Omaha and, you know, St. Thomas is now division one, right? So they, they made the leap from division three, right? To division one. And they're arguably their two best players on their team right now are division three guys, right. That are wow. not on athletic scholarships. And they're, I think now they're 13 and six in the summit or 13 and six overall. And I'm not sure what they're on the summit league. And they're doing it with division three guys because they don't have the full scholarship allotment and all that stuff. So um, to bring it back like that, that's how strong St. Thomas was in division three, that it was, it was hard. Even the JV guys like could have maybe played varsity at other schools, but there were just so many players there. You can't, you can't play everybody. So. Yeah. You know, I worked, maybe you didn't know this. I worked at Emory and Henry for two years. And so I've got some good division three experience and on my hands. And I'd always remember like, you know, cause those rosters can be so large. For sure. For um, sure. And, you know, you know, you know, you look at a roster, you know, Emory, we, we had 24 guys on the roster, I think over two years, like we kept, we kept 24 guys on the roster with um, JV or just one varsity team. No JV, no JV. Wow. That's a lot of guys, man. I, I believe we have the NCAA record for number of players played in a game. Did um, all 24 play? All tw we played. Yeah. Like we went after coach Johnson wanted to go after certain <laughs> records. And so we played everybody. We gave everybody a jersey and everybody got in the game. Um, and we actually won the game. Oh, that's, but that I just remember looking at all these rosters and saying, you know, we'd like lose a recruit to someplace. And I'd be like, man, there's, there's three guys legitimately in your position. You know, you're never going to, you know, you're going to play as a senior there. Um, and so the division three rosters are always kind of like in flux, you know, in the ODAC, especially with guys, you know, you'd have a guy who's a six man at someplace transfer division two and be a starter. It would be yeah, really yeah. talented, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's the the line and especially now with like the transfer portal and all this stuff like just the line is blurry between a high-end d3 guy and maybe a high-end d2 guy and like a lower to mid d1 it, it's you're, it's um again like st thomas at the game last night they had two division three guys starting for them 
right? And and one of them was the leading scorer last night. So, yeah, it's there's great players at every level. Yeah, I always say I don't know how you feel about this. You know, like a Division three senior, you yeah. know, can play at a lot of different levels. A Division three freshman has got to learn the stuff he needs to learn to be able to play at all the different levels. Um, and so I always, you know, I always hear people say, oh, like this kid's like a division one kid. I'm like, well, you know, he's a, he's a freshman. He's, he maybe can get there. Yeah. Not there yet. You know? And so anytime that kind of comes up, I always kind of push back. Um, we've been at all those different levels, you know, but I think the key is the experience, the ability to be experienced at 22 years old gives you the ability to play at a lot of different levels. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best players I've coached was a guy named Will Hanley, who I coached at in, in Maine at Bowdoin. And he, to your point, like, and I coached him his last two years, his junior, senior year, but his first two years, you know, he was playing, but, but not scoring a whole lot. And then by the time he's a junior, he led the league in scoring was second in rebounding and then senior year he flipped that, but he ended up playing professionally for nine years after. And there were some division one scholarship guys that probably you and I both coached that, that did not do that. Right. And, and it doesn't mean they weren't good enough, but it's just when you play all those minutes in division three, by the time you are a senior and you are 22 or 23, you have a confidence, a maturity, and understanding that that younger guy just doesn't have. So, and some guys grow later and put on weight and maybe grow a couple inches, whatever. And they, these aren't robots; they're humans, right? Like guys change from eighteen to twenty-one. So, I, I agree. Yeah, it it's it's fascinating to watch. I, mean, I have so many good friends. I coach Division three, and uh, I go to, I go to a bunch of Division three games, and I got like I enjoy basketball, so I love watching basketball. You know. Um, and it's just so many good players, you know, like I, when I was a division, you know, I played division division one, I'd come back in the summers, play at Randolph Macon, yeah. you know, and they'd be out there running like motion in the summertime and all this shit, you know, and like the division one game, you don't play that way. Like you really, you know, you move, move, move. And then there's isolation or, you know, it's just a, the games are different. I will say the, the style of games are different. Yeah. And so I'd be out there, you know, they, they'd be scoring. I mean, oh, like I could, I could play with you. It's like, listen, man, like you're going to go up a level. We're going to isolate you and and you're not going to be able to move the ball like this. You know, we're going to pressure it out. Yeah. Um, so I do think that is a little bit of the difference too, is the style of game is different because of the size of the players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The size, the, you know, a lot of times the athleticism, um, you know, I think a lot of times the skill could be comparable depending on a higher end, like Randolph Macon won the national title last year, yep. right? Like they, they have a, they're one of their best players who I think was ODAC player of the year is now playing in Germany. And, uh, you know, maybe he's one or two, like one, a guy that could play uh, up, but like you said, the, the size athleticism is just on average, isn't the same, you know, D3 yeah. as you go up. But. And like good teams beat bad teams. Um, so like if you're a good team at this level, you can beat a bad team at that level. Sure. <laughs> if you're a good team. <laughs> a bad team is a bad team. They're not beating anybody, you know? Um, you know, I'm looking at some of these college college basketball things, Division One, and um, there's a job in the nation's capital where they're saying, "Oh, these players are so talented," and you know, I don't know why they're not winning. And I'm like, "Well, they're not that talented. <laughs> if you're not winning, you're not that talented." You know, it's it's just you know, certain guys know how to play together and move the ball a certain way, which allows winning. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, and it's just again with it now with the transfer portal. It's like how as coaches, right? How do you like build a team? You know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's getting, you can build it quick, but then it's quick the right way. And, and it's just, um, it, it can get messy. So um, chemistry and buy-in and everything is, is just, it's more important now than ever. Yeah. It, it, you know, one of the teams I looked at when I was, when I was in the A-10 at GW, 
you know, the first two years we're playing away, and I was like, we can't win in this league this way. I just, I, I was like, we can't win. You know, we can't get the number of athletes that's needed to play how I played at CNO or Mount St. Mary's. And, and, and this is not a complaint because it's just what it is. You just, you, you, you have strengths and weaknesses wherever you go. But I watched a lot of Davidson basketball. I probably need to call McKill up and, and like just maybe just go and sit on his deck for hours or something. Um, because I watched a lot of Davidson basketball because I looked at their team. I said, man, they're not athletic. You know, they're like, they're good shooters, but not great. You know, like they're like, they're good at a lot of things. And they're finishing top five every single year in this league, you know, and their defensive numbers might not be great, but they take care of the ball. They take good shots. What is the secret to Davidson basketball? Man. Um, yeah. So I was looking, I got, was there for three years, right? So I was there our, our last year in their Southern conference. And then our first two years in the Atlantic 10, and when we left the SoCon to go to the A-10 preseason coaches poll, I think we were picked 12th out of 14 and we won the league outright. And our point guard was 5'11", our shooting guard was 6'1", our small forward was 6'3", our power forward was 6'5", and our center was like 6'7". So to your point, we weren't big. We, we weren't athletic across the board. Um, Coach McKillop, the dad, and now Matt, and Matt's yeah. going to do a great job too, but, but Coach Bob McKillop just did an amazing job of, of finding the right guys. You know, I, you can't see right now, but like I'm pointing to my door, there's a, a Jersey of one of the players. He was a 10 player of the year, Tyler Kalinowski. And yeah, six, three, 185. never saw him dunk. I don't think he could dunk. Right. He's playing professionally now in Spain. Um, he had two offers or may, maybe three offers out of high school. And that was when Davidson was in the, in the SoCon. And, but coach McKill talks so much about like trusting your eyes, like don't get caught up in, well, he's got five offers and he's got 20 or 30. Like, who cares? If he has zero and, like, coach thought that he fit how he wanted to play, like, we would recruit him. So he, he just did an amazing job of finding the guys that he really wanted, no matter how many offers they had, and then getting them to buy in. And, you know, like the saying, you know, like, drink the Kool-Aid or whatever. Like, everyone was drinking. There was no drop left in the cup. Like, everyone was really completely bought in. It, it's so interesting. So I worked for a guy named Bob Johnson at Emory & Henry. And I thought he was, and I've, and I've worked for some great coaches. And so this is not a shade to any of the coaches I've worked for. But kind of to your point there, because he had so many different types of rosters, he knew a lot of different types of basketball. Um, like you said, one year it might have been throw the ball inside, we played two bigs. He, you know, we got there, we would have conversations about running Princeton, running motion, running three out, two in, you know, like pressing, not pressing, play pack line. Yeah, he was just like this encyclopedia of basketball knowledge. And I never thought about it until you said that. It's really because he had to be with the way the roster could be or how the roster could transition. Yeah, it just – and again, like when you when you don't have an athletic scholarship, it just changes things, right? Like, And there are kids that will recruit for over a year, and then all of a sudden late in his junior year, junior summer, you know, he gets an offer. And it's just – you got to be happy for that. I mean, you can't even be mad, but – it's just you have to try to get like the best players possible and then tailor, I think, in my opinion, we got to tailor our system to that. There's this drawer full of tapes. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going through every one of those recruit tapes. And one was Steph Curry. I wish I had kept the tape. I didn't know he was going to become the greatest. Like it was an actual time. tape. Tape. It was a VHS. This is tape. Okay. So I popped this thing in here and I'm like, man, this guy is amazing. 
Uh, he's putting on the floor and handling whatever. And so I call like his high school coach and his high school coach, well, you know, if he doesn't end up with anything, you, you know, he's going to end up walking on at Virginia Tech. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking like, he's going to walk on at Virginia Tech. Like this guy is, you know, because you could see the skill and all that, like he was skinny, but it was like, I mean, he wasn't doing what he did at Davidson. Yeah. But as a senior, you could see that like he could get his shot off. He could handle the ball. Like, you could just, you could, I don't know, maybe I was just so passionate about this game. I was like, this guy is on, like, that's like, he's walking on at Virginia Tech. Like, you know, so I was like, I'll make a call. We'll try to figure it out. And and then I think Davidson came in a little bit later, I think, or something. But yeah, what a, trust your eyes. Yeah. Um, and again, that that's a unique, I mean, maybe in today's environment, right? That was kind of pre, I mean, you're talking about Tate. There was no Twitter. There was no, <laughs> yeah. like, that, that probably doesn't happen today, right? Yeah. Like that. And, but, he was shorter though. I mean, I think I think on that tape at the time he might have been five eleven, six foot. Like, okay. I mean, he, you know, he was he was smaller, but man, he he, he that senior year he could go, and uh, but maybe it doesn't. You know, I mean, we're it's funny now. Every every parent you talk to is talking about exposure, 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 and I'm like, we're in the exposure era. You don't need to be ex- you don't need exposure. You need to play well. Yeah, it's you like know? it's hard to tell, man. All these highlight tapes, it's like. Or highlight clips. It's just like that kid looks good. That kid looks. Good. It's hard to know, yeah. you know. So so much of it is trusting your community and like the coaches you know, like high school, prep school, AU, all that stuff, and like just getting a real evaluation. And it, it's hard, right? Because again, we're I don't want to keep. But we're a Division three school. We don't have the. But we can't fly everywhere. We can't see yeah. every single kid. So you really have to um, trust your network, man. And yeah. But before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about Impact Academy in yeah. Las Vegas. Working there. Because I've always been fascinated with these kind of academies and, and, and that kind of that kind of world. Little trying to learn a little bit more of it now. Tell me a little bit about impact. Yeah. So I, I graduated from McAllister on a Saturday in May. It was beautiful outside. And um, my uncle was living in Las Vegas and there was an internship uh, at Impact. They had posted on like the NCA website. So I applied whatever it's an unpaid internship. And I wanted to play overseas, right? And so I had it's tough for a five seven division three guard to <clears throat> make that jump, but there was a team in England that had been interested, sounded like it was going to go through last second. It doesn't go through. And so um, the impact opportunity was still there. My uncle was living out there. He had a truck. He's like, Hey, you can use my truck. You can live at the house, all that stuff. Great. I'm from Minnesota. Never. I've been born here my whole life. Never left. So I'm like, I'm going to go to the Vegas for summer, live in Vegas, you know, NBA summer league, all the AU stuff and just, just meet people, see where it goes. And so I went out there, I flew out on a Tuesday. So I graduated on Saturday Sunday, Monday, Tuesday flew out, started my internship Wednesday at Impact. And at the time, there were a lot of guys getting ready for the draft that were um, one of the names at the time was like Alonzo G. Uh, Robert Vaden was out there. Uh, Antonio Anderson, who had played at Memphis uh, and, and a bunch of other guys. Those are three I just remember off the bat. So I was an intern that whole summer. And again, all the NBA guys were there. So this is when Tyron Lue was still playing, Chauncey Billups. This was 2008 to really bring it back. Uh, Tayshawn Prince, Kevin Garnett, um, uh, Kyle Lowry, Rudy Gay. I mean, amazing. I mean, these are the best pickup runs you could ever see, right? It was like, it was like an NBA, and I'm just wiping the sweat. I'm making the protein shakes. I'm doing the laundry. I'm rebounding when I can, taking guys to the airport. Just, you know, I'm an intern. And the that August of 2008, Impact was starting uh, like an academy. It's like Impact Prep Academy. And so I was the first assistant coach. So I got hired full time. I lived in the house with the players, 
I drove the van, you know, I was, you know, taking guys to lunch I mean, whatever you needed to do. Right. Just to make sure um, guys were okay. And what was hard about being out there at the time, and maybe still, um, there are not many prep schools in the West coast. Right. right. So like there was stone Ridge prep who had Ennis Conter at the time. Uh, Finley prep was really big at the time. So they had um, Corey Joseph, Tristan Thompson, Avery Bradley, mm-hmm. like un- unbelievable. So we had, we played them four times. We went 0 and four. Cause it's like, who else are you going to play? There's no, no many teams out there. Um, Westwind prep uh, had Tony Snell, Jamal Franklin. So well, ours was a different model. You know, I, I think they were really built to win. I think ours was a little bit more of a, a showcase model where it gave mm-hmm. guys a chance to hopefully earn a scholarship, stuff like that. So, um, but man, I, I met so many people out there, you know, living uh, in Vegas, obviously um, with the NBA summer league, meeting agents and coaches and general managers and all that was great. Um, but we, we were really on the ground floor of it in 2008. That was my first coaching job. So, so to have that experience and um, we flew to Jackson, Mississippi for an event. We flew to the national prep school invite at university of Rhode Island in uh, Kingston. Great experience for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, this summer I got a chance to do some, I got to go to Chris Paul's camp and work with really, really elite players and watch Devin Booker and, and Jai Gilkis Alexander and all these guys kind of work out. And, um, it was, it was really eye opening. Um, what are some things that you learned watching those high level players work out and play? So, uh, Joe Bunisar was the, he, he runs it, right. He runs impact. And I was in bed. I mean, it was almost midnight and I get, I look at my phone and Joe Bunisar is calling and he says, Hey, can you get to the gym? He's like, Joe Johnson wants to work out. So Joe Johnson at the time, uh, was with Jordan brand and he was doing some shoot in Vegas and Joe Johnson must've hit up Joe. So, Hey, can I get in the gym? Bam. So I'm like, all right, I get in the car. I got my truck drive to the gym. And now it's like 1230 at night and I'm just rebounding for Joe Johnson and worked out for like an hour. Joe Bunisar was amazing. at showing up when like guys wanted to work out. He was there. Um, and just to see the way they took care of their bodies. Right. Because it's just, you're looking for in high school, you can get away with certain things and then college, certain things. And then over when you're at that level, like there are so many guys fighting for 400 spots in the league or whatever it is. And every year there's someone younger that can jump higher that the guys who stick are the guys that are just relentless in their work ethic. Right. Cause there's, there are so many six, five, 220 pound guys across the world. Right. And there's only so few that end up making the NBA and whether it's uh, nutrition, whether it's guys that aren't getting in trouble or guys that are coachable or like find a role. Right. Cause not there. Okay. There's one James Harden or there's one Kevin Durant or whatever, but then, what do you do? Like, like Robert Ori, like we were talking about earlier, Robert, he found a way, right? There are other guys that were as tall as Robert or as athletic, but he, he big shot Bob, right? Like he ended up becoming a great three point shooter and found a way to stick. Like behind the curtain, you know, there's like, there's, they're, they're competing, but there's a respect for like how you handle your business. And there's a professionalism that matters with how they interact so much is changing now that it's like, dude, if you don't want it, there's another guy that does. And um, so there's, there's just more accountability across the board. Yeah. What's one thing that you're really working hard to figure out right now? I would say for just our program, this is our, our first year where 
and again, I'm open. I tell recruits this. I tell parents. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, I don't try to hide from it. We've never made the NCAA tournament. Like it's never happened in history of school. And so some kids would say, well, why would you want to go to this school if they've never done it? And or why would you take this job? It's like, well, I want to be the first. I want to prove that like it can be done. And if, if no one else has done it, we've done it selfishly. That must say something about what we've done. And so now this is the first year we have a, a target on our back. And so like getting our guys to understand, like just not to oversimplify it again, but like how important each possession is. And like we, we got blown out on Wednesday, right? Like we lost to a team and it's like, dude, we're, we're not a secret anymore. Like we're, we're pretty good now. Now we're eight and three. Like that's my first year. We won seven games. We were seven and 18. So like, we're, we're not great, but we're pretty good right now. And so how do we go from a pretty good team to a great team and a national contender? Well, I know you'll get them right. You know, we do this thing here on last call where it's the end of the night. Maybe we're having a drink or two. Maybe we'll do this at the final four this year. Um, on the left side, you have someone who's retired on the right side. You have someone that is still going and kicking in this game or in life, what two people would you want beside you? I was a, a really big Allen Iverson fan growing up, right? I know he was listed at six foot 160 and he was 5'10, 150. And just, and that was when the game was a game of giants, right? Shaq and yeah. Hakeem and Tim Duncan, David Robinson, all that stuff. So for a, a small guy to play the way he did um, was inspiring for sure. I believe AI would be amazing at the end of the night. <laughs> that that see, I wasn't even thinking that way too. But man, that's a whole other level. So man. He, he's solidified. All right, so that you got AI on your left. Who you got on your right? And then uh, I'm going to say a current player uh, that I really enjoy. Um, I'll, I'll stick with Steph. I'll stick with Steph. And I think AI's even said Steph's one of his favorite players. So I think to be yeah. in the room, I don't even have to talk. I can just sit there and. Because Aon and Steph are, are very different players, very different people that came up from very different upbringings. And so to hear, but if both have thrived, it's kind of smaller guys that have made their mark on the NBA in totally different ways. Um, I'd pick those two. I love it. Well, Abe, we're going to wish you good luck the rest of the year. And we're thankful for your time. Jamie, I appreciate you. I thank everyone for listening. And if, you know, we always have an open invite at practice. So if anyone listening is, happens to be in Minnesota, we're 10 minutes from the airport. So if you're in the area, stop by and um, we'd love to have you. So thanks, Jamie. Thanks for joining us on Last Call. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.